Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on February the 18th of 2019. I am Nick here with Chris, and uh, we've got to put on our put on our berets and our and our scarves and our striped shirts and uh, go on a journey today, Chris. Yeah, I don't have a beret, but I have a flat cap, which is very similar to that. So I'm on. Is it a beret? And I guess it's a flat cap. It's, I'm not sure how I would describe the cap. The cap that it's I'm it's wearing. closer to a flat cap, I think. I guess beret, it is. I think is like a flat all over kind of thing. But I mean, who cares? Everyone. Like, yeah, his has a trim. Yeah, of I some sort. I, I I mean, who would bother playing that when you had the better character model of the girl with like a scarf, a uh, winter hat, knee high snow ho- snow boots, and then uh, a mini skirt and a tank top? I mean, you say that, but Dawn's character design is better than Lucas's. Oh like... yes, no, that was legitimate. <laughs> I always liked that character design better. But I mean, that's one of the one of the ones where it's like, um, honestly, like since basically that one it's like almost always the girl just look just looks better than the guy i think like they shifted up in gen 7 when they're like what if we give her a hat that looks like a that rooster looks like a fucking... rooster king you're like Good point. Yeah. you know what all right <laughs> that's what's wrong with the lola's entire design standpoint right there summed up <laughs> yeah, she wears a smock you know whatever <laughs> fucking stupid no like a lot now let's talk about Pokemon, Nick. In case you couldn't tell already, we are talking about Pokemon today. Uh, it's been a little while since we went on our last Pokemon journey, and so this time we are going through the Sinnoh region. It's Pokemon Adventure, the Diamond and Pearl chapter, and also the Platinum chapter, but it, that's like two and a half volumes, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's really just like and I skipped through a sequel to the previous one. I skipped through so much of it, because I was like, Frontier stuff, huh? Uh, Not going to trick me into this. I you will be once with emerald <laughs> <laughs> no it's I, honestly yeah like i mean the one detail of that entire thing that i like is that um it brings back all the companions that, that you meet in the game the you know the other four of the five people that you know you go through the route with and they heal your pokemon while you do team battles and stuff it's like okay they're all there so that's nice that's the only thing that i need i don't need I don't need you to make sure that all six of the other legendary Pokemon in this gen show up in this. There are so many legendaries it's, in Gen 4. There's a lot of stuff that I really want to talk about without getting too much into spoilers, but one of my favorite points in this manga is when there's like two volumes left and they're like, oh fuck, there's like seven other legendaries to get to. Dark Shaman, Incineroar. There's no build up to any of them. It's like a big deal, no. like Dialga and Palkia, and then like Garantia comes in and the fuck shit up. And then like an offhand conversation, it's like, I got Heatran. And then it's like, where oh, wow. Darkrai come from? Well, he's always been with us. And then like, not even in the last chapter, but like an addendum to the last chapter it's like oh that egg that you had hashed manaphy and then manaphy had a fione <laughs> they're like hold on it's not just enough that this was a stupid pokemon you had to breed it to make it even more worthless pokemon they're both in there we checked everyone off god damn it well done <laughs> really applauding us here okay gen 4 uh the fourth big uh, section of the Pokemon adventure um, is is unique in a couple of diff- different respects that I do actually really appreciate. Um, it's 
not it's very much not about the individual in this one as it is about a unit of friends and i really like the way that uh that turns out and of course our three protagonists are based off of the three versions of the generation diamond pearl and platinum diamond is essentially lucas the male protagonist from the games uh pearl is essentially barry the rival character that very few people i think actually remember um, I remember him. He's he's like, if you were like, all right, so to be very clear, I hate Gen 4. Hate it, hate it, hate it. And if you were to like, give me a list to write all the reasons you hate Gen 4, after like listing all the bad Pokemon design decisions, the first one's on there. And that stupid fucking rival Barry, that annoying fucking cockhound who just runs up to you screaming in every scene. Wasn't there... That this was around the time when there were like multiple rivals in a game, right? Like Bar- there were like secondary rivals. Barry was, he was the prim- sole rival, I think. Gen five is where you start getting multiples, I believe. Because I know that in like Gen three, it's like whatever, uh, whatever protagonist you don't pick, the other one is kind of your rival. And then there's also Wally, who is also kind of your rival. I don't believe because whatever character you don't pick serves as Professor Rohan's assistant. And I don't right. know if you actually ever battle them. You probably can at some you point, definitely but, they're, but they're not your rival. They kind of And also every time they show up, you just kind of kick their ass because they're actually really weak. <laughs> yeah, they'll show up with some fucking level six ratataz. You're like, I'm taking on the fifth gym. What are you doing? <laughs> How did you get here? Your starter hasn't evolved yet? What have you been doing? <laughs> the fuck? That shit happens like in the first gym. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> sorry. So then uh, there is Platinum, which you don't actually learn her name for a little while because you didn't know what the third game was going to be called at first. Uh, and she is the female protagonist. She's Dawn. Oh, is that the logic they had behind not revealing her I'm name? I'm assuming that that's what it was. It's, it's a weird buildup to eventually be like, and my name's Platinum. And then like nobody's like, whoa, your name's Platinum? As though it's a deal. They're just like, oh, cool. We're, we're still going to call you Lady, though. <laughs> <laughs> We've just kind of gotten so used to it at this point. Um, So the setup for it is actually really weird. Um, Not in the sense of the basics of it, but just in terms of how their characters are set up in contrast with each other. Cause the basic idea is that platinum is going to go on a Pokemon journey, but uh, she comes from a very wealthy family. Her father is paranoid and wants her to be protected. So he has hired these two bodyguards to go with her on her journey and make sure that nothing bad happens to her. Somehow diamond and Pearl uh, end up colliding with uh, her father and with Professor Sycamore, who have the details on who they're supposed to meet with. And they end up inadvertently becoming uh, Platinum's travel companions. So the three of them go on a journey together. The reason why Diamond and Pearl think that they're supposed to be going with Platinum is because in the very beginning of the story, they, in their comedy double act, win a all expense paid trip to go on like a tour of some sort. Mm-hmm. And they think they're going on this tour and that Platinum is their tour guide. And they don't seem to realize that she keeps on treating them like commoners and, and, you know, turning her nose up at them, despite the fact that she's supposed to be their guides. 
it's a real comedy of errors as everyone it, like, it is. just accepts these weird conditions like huh i guess our tour guide just pays for everything and it's weird we didn't win the contest we won like most moxie the in it prize but yeah <laughs> we still get to go on an all expense paid trip around the entire region that's crazy I mean, from Platinum's perspective, it makes sense because she's naive and also because like, oh, well, they made it so that I would have travel companions who are around my same age. So it wouldn't be like I have these weird secret security guys, secret service guys following me around, drawing undue attention to myself, which was actually what their plan was. They were just going to have weird secret service guys follow her around, drawing undue attention to her. Uh, they drop that about half about halfway through uh, the uh, Diamond and Pearl chapters. And um, but until then, it's basically Platinum is going around you know, trying to go on this Pokemon journey. Diamond and Pearl are being weird goobers uh, while they're traveling with her uh, because the double act thing that they do is a constant thing. They are always doing this but it's like once a chapter for a long time where one of them will start launching into this thing and they do a bunch of Pokemon related jokes and puns. And I think that a lot of your enjoyment of this part of the story is going to be if you find them funny, because if you don't, you are going to get sick of them doing this all the time. <laughs> I admire the direction with this because it is a unique way of kind of portraying this because for a long time you really don't associate diamond and pearl as being almost two separate characters they're kind of this one unit right. that that you know one guy is the straight man the other guy is the kind of aloof idiot and that personality in their routine kind of translates to real life as well you know pearl has mm -hmm. a bit more energy and diamond is almost exclusively portrayed as uh, not being around like being kind of loafish and eating a lot so I, I admire going with this direction because it, it is like a pretty cool transition into it. Rather seamless at times, uh, you know, if this was like an anime, you'd have to kind of restructure and reframe the whole scene to like have the two guys standing next to each other and make it feel natural for that kind of dynamic. Whereas here you just you draw the panels in that kind of, you know, three panel across way. Mm -hmm. um, it's humor did not particularly tickle my fancy and i'm not a huge fan of it but i was able to tolerate it because generally whenever you see it it's pretty quick and easy to skip over to if you're like, yeah it's like okay i'll just go to the next page because i don't yeah, like the pen punchline yeah, you're like i get it i don't, I don't need another one of these <laughs> let's move uh, on now the other characters in the manga think that it's amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, you mean like almost everyone thinks that they are fucking hilarious. <laughs> Bravo to them, I guess. I mean, hey, whatever, whatever tickles your funny bone, you know, whatever, whatever. Comedy is entirely subjective. If you think they're funny, fine. And um, a large part of it too has to be like credit on the translation team, who I'm sure had yes. to translate a bunch of jokes that did not yes. translate, and then find Absolutely. ways to make them translate, you know, and and make sense of the context. Uh, you know, just... it's a bunch of wordplay uh, in in their routine. So we have to translate Japanese wordplay to English wordplay, and you have to have, in a lot of cases, the same setup lead to something that makes some sort of sense. Mm -hmm in favor of uh you have to go in favor of that as opposed to just having them be out and out funny um 
Yeah. Well, well, don't forget, Nick, they're inspired by the classic comedy duo of Abbott Cleffa and Costello Jiggly, which I applaud the truth. <laughs> they're clearly inspired by Japanese comedians, but they're like, nobody's going to know it. So yeah. they go with like the hot 40s act of Abbott and Costello, but they're like, we need to Pokefon, like, uh, their names because they're wearing Pokemon hats. So they didn't right. try to go like, Ab Cleffa and Castegli or something like that. They were just like Abbott Cleffa and Costello Jig. Just add it to the name. It's fine. <laughs> They're Pokemon now. Laurely Puff and Cleffardi. And yeah, would have worked better or something. <laughs> they just go with like, what if we just use their names and put a Pokemon name at the end of it? <laughs> Indeed. What I like about this series, because I was going into this uh, thinking like, oh, man, they've got that, you know, that double act routine. And it's in a lot of this. And I don't know if they were actually funny or not. So I feel kind of antsy about this going in. But I pretty quickly remembered, like, what's what really works about it is not the actual humor of it, but just in term. It's just the relationship that the three of them share. And the reveal over time that they are more than just their parts in the comedy act, which is uh, Pearl is is the straight man. Diamond is the stooge and platinum is the the kudere, basically the person who is trying to act very prim and proper and not find these shenanigans amusing. But in, in fact, she actually does think that they're they're funny and she tries to deny it every time that it comes up. That's a. That's her running gag through much of the story is that she's been this sheltered, protected girl who only really knows a lot of the outside world from what she's learned in books uh, and studies. And she has never experienced a lot of different things for herself. She knows the theory of a lot of things, but she doesn't know the reality of them. And she's actually from the beginning, I think, a really uh nice character because you see that she has this intense enthusiasm for wanting to try all these different things. There's a bit where they're about to go into an underground mine and she's thinking, Oh, I'm going to actually get to see, you know, all the, all the coal that, that they mine here. Maybe I can actually touch some of it. Maybe they'll even let me like shovel for some myself. And she's like making shoveling motions because she's getting so excited about it. Everyone's like looking at her and you're, you were just thinking about shoveling. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No, like the dead face. Like, <laughs> No, I was not. You're completely mistaken. Laughs at a joke. Someone's like, did you just laugh at that joke? I absolutely did not. Pretty sure I heard you. Never happened. I take offense to that insinuation. You will hear from my lawyers. I think that my favorite instance is when they get bikes Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they're starting to ride and they look behind them and Platinum is just like. (laughs) And eventually first like, you don't know how to ride a bike, do you? Yes, I do. <laughs> you don't know how to ride a bike, do you? It's like, well, I'm perfectly fine. Uh, <laughs> I have to teach her how to ride a bike. Um, and over time, you learn that you know, like Diamond actually gets really upset with Pearl eventually because he gets under the impression that Pearl only thinks of him as just the stooge in their double acting. He's like, "You're always hitting me. You're always thinking like I'm a lazy idiot." And Pearl's like, "That's no, that's just part of our routine. No, I don't think of you that way." And Diamond's like, "No, you're always treating me that way." And you know, I'm not just your underling. I'm not just a guy for you to have a good double act. There's more to me than that, and there definitely is because even though he is very laid back and kind of ditzy. Uh, he has this very strong, like emotional maturity to him. 
he is very observant and gets very in tune with uh, with other Pokemon. And that's his big strength is that he can understand uh, Pokemon's emotions very, very strongly. Pearl's on the a strength, on the other hand, is that he just has a tremendous amount of energy and willpower. He has he has a, this ironclad will that like, kind of like pushes everyone forward. He's always the one who is kind of like bossing people around but this because he just has this will to get things done. And Platinum is the wise one. She's the knowledgeable one. She ends up thinking of a lot of things in uh, an intellectual way, in a theoretical way. And the point of the entire series is that the balance of their personalities allows them to function very strongly as a unit because each of them has these very strong uh, one directional uh, characters, which combined together make them very, very, very strong because they have a strong compatibility and they balance each other out. That's the entire theme of the series. And it, it, they've kind of hammered that home over and over again because, you know, three personalities and three, they, they form the Triforce, basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's really, really close to that, honestly. So, I, you know, I, I like a lot of how the story kind of starts. Um, they do a lot of things that are unique, not necessarily unique, but are the right kind of calls for a lot of it. Like uh, Platinum is the one who's taking the gym challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other two are they're not really interested in that sort of stuff. Uh, and nah. it's not that platinum wants to be the best trainer either. She just wants experiences. So she tries everything. There's, there's a beauty con or a, a Pokemon contest at one point she enters into. And, you know, she tries basically everything that she comes across. So she's the one who's doing the gym challenges and find the gym leaders. Um, and they, they have an interesting dynamic where for a very, very long time, nobody catches any Pokemon. They sort of all have like a Pokemon that they start with and then they get a starter and then that's it. And that kind of suffices as six Pokemon between them, uh, which is how uh, Platinum does a lot of the gym battles. She'll borrow other people's Pokemon for them. So it's, it's a unique perspective there. And I I do like following on that, like that journey across. Um, There are issues. I think when the story gets later into its run, where stuff stops mattering as much or maybe there just isn't time to develop it at all there's yeah. a lot of like here's your new pokemon and they just hand a pokeball with a pokemon into it to somebody there's like, literally a point where uh th- you know platinum has befriended some gym leaders and they're like here have a pokemon and she gets th- half of her pokemon that way and all make, at once they make together. a deal at the end when they're just like my pokemon have returned i was like I haven't seen any of those three before. <laughs> like, I know you got like told you were going to get them at some point, but I don't remember a single one of these ever actually. Ah, uh, yes. That very before. important Pokemon in Platinum's group. Pachirisu. <laughs> <laughs> There's only a moment if you read, like if you're reading the volumes where they describe Pachirisu and it's like, Pachirisu is an experienced member of Dawn's team. And I was like, eat shit. <laughs> no, she isn't. Um, uh, so I, I enjoy it for the, the perspective of, oh, we really get to kind of see the starter Pokemon and like their individual ones and the way they change Pokemon kind of, you know, inter between themselves is a very unique kind of dynamic. And it's 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 very much appreciated. Uh, there are still issues with it that come down to just the fundamental how Diamond and Pearl the game worked. Mm-hmm. I'm always in awe of how much stuff they managed to 
function into like useless game systems they managed to make work in it. They have Dr. Fucking Footsteps show up like yep. eight times. And I'm yep. like, I vaguely recall this was a plot. I did not recall that he was a thing. <laughs> I think he has like a, a house on the beach. And that's he all I remember about him. Plays a key role in the final battle. Everyone plays a fucking key role in the final <laughs> battle. All the gym leaders. That fucking one character from Team Rocket and Fire Red and Leaf Green turns out to have been a Team Galactic agent. And there's an entire intense discussion of what she was doing the entire time. So I was researching Pokemon from space. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I infiltrated Team Rocket. It's like, okay, what are you doing here? I'm here to be here. Yeah. Also, I couldn't control Darkrai. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do, though? Uh, you know, so I, I appreciate a lot of the the good parts of the story. And I do actually think the series went uh, in a strong direction to make Cyrus actually memorable as a villain. Because oh, he's absolutely. not in the game. He is I was so gonna forgettable say, in the game. I don't remember a single thing about Cyrus other than, like, what he does, basically. Yeah. Outside in, of like, the stupid plot of, like, I'm gonna make a new universe, vaguely. But he is intense as hell in this series. My, my favorite moment for him is the start. Because he's like... One of the first scenes we're introduced to him in is like a woman's like, oh, there's a package for you. You need to sign for it. He's like, signing your name is like leaving a part of yourself behind. It should not be done gently. Thus, I shall use my own pen. And he pulls it like a feather quill pen. And then he writes his name. And I know it's because they just had to change the typesetting. But he basically signs in like Comic Sans of Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a very big gravitas moment for, like a very cartoonish signature <laughs> oh, man. um like some of the stuff he does like there's a point where early on he shows up and like diamond comes across him and he's just like completely ignoring the kid is there at all because he's so beneath him uh he ends up having a battle with fucking cynthia and basically schools her and then shows up at the beginning looking like he's a four winged angel uh, because his haunch crow is carrying him around and he's, you know, going to basically destroy the universe and start over because he has this perspective that the world is not in balance. Either there is in this world, there is too much of uh, one of the elements of either willpower, emotion, or wisdom. The three must be in perfect harmony or else you cannot be in balance. And the universe has too much of one, so I must destroy everything and start over uh, anew. And while he's giving the speech, uh, he's crying tears of blood. <laughs> yeah, I was like, nobody's commenting on it, but that is 100% blood. Like, the, everyone just ignores that he's just, like, leering down at them. Like, <laughs> this is Pokemon! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck that Arbuck getting cut in half. This is the most metal shit that's happened. So, I think that you gotta definitely give some credit there, because, um, I mean, aside from Gen 2, I think that Cyrus is probably the least memorable of the Pokemon villains' final bosses that show up. And uh, oh, no, the dude from Gen Six is pretty bad too. From Team Flare, I, mean, I, I haven't even played that game, so <sighs> I I sometimes I have to remember what Team Flare's gimmick was besides wearing red suits. And I'm like, <laughs> I think they loved beautiful things. Was their their gimmick? 
It's it's very hard to remember. I guess it does say something because I at least know, like, I, I've at least heard of what the two games that I haven't played were about. Like, I know basically all about what, you know, um, Team Plasma's thing was. but And I know of uh, the Aether Foundation, so... But I, yeah, I have no idea what team player is. So <laughs> anyway, um, so that's his whole thing. It's like, oh, it actually follows for the most part really closely the plot of the games uh, in terms of they're trying to uh, cause a disaster at one of the three lakes in the region so that Azelf and the other two, uh, Muxi, whatever, who best whatever, the three sprite Pokemon uh, so that they'll react and awaken and be drawn towards each other so that they can capture them, get the gems from them, craft a chain to control uh, uh, Dialga and Palkia, have them fight each other and distort time and space to the point that all of the universe is destroyed and they can start stuff anew. That's the that's all of that is taken straight from the game. Um, what is unique to it is basically just in terms of how the characters, you know, are portrayed and interact with each other. Like, I mean, I could see Barry turning into Pearl, but I would never have taken, you know, like Diamond turn, uh, being this, you know, very loafish, but very quiet and emotional guy or Dawn being a rich lady who has difficulty connecting to other people because her father told her not to give her name out to commoners. Uh, that's a nice detail that she just flat out says, like, I was told not to, to give my name to dirty common folk. <laughs> but. I, I do really like the way that they interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that the biggest strength of this part of the story is that you really do feel the bond between them, uh, especially when they have to go their separate ways and grow individually on their own journeys and then come back together at the end. I think the, the moment that that actually struck me the most is a particular scene. This is spoilers at this point. So, mm -hmm. you know, be aware uh, but there's a particular moment, and it's actually a, a key point in the game when they're like, "Oh, these uh, Team Galactics try to blow up the lakes, and there's there's three mm -hmm. lakes. We don't know which one, so all the characters have to split up. And instead of having like a big like goodbye friend, like they do have like a moment of like, yeah, we'll catch yeah. each other later. The bigger moment is that later we cut to all three of those characters at different points, and they're all the next day basically, mm -hmm. and they're like, "Oh, our Poké devices, our Pokédexes used to always beep when all of us were together." And the absence of that sound is so heartbreaking to them that they all are crying across the region from each other over the fact that they're not together anymore. And you're like, yeah, you know what? This is legitimately sad and kind of heartbreaking. So it's like a cool yeah, and you buy it. Fun. You buy that they actually are have gotten close enough to each other that they would actually really seriously miss that. Yeah. The one that really I didn't think did for me came just before that. That's a really big moment. But I think that my favorite moment in the series is. Um, for a very short period of time, um, it's actually a big part of the sequel part, the Platinum chapters. Um, Diamond and Pearl run into Platinum's actual bodyguards, and they have a fight uh, against some, you know, Team Galactic goons uh, and minions and such. And then they use a device on them, which basically sends them into a parallel dimension. Uh, and they basically, while they're disappearing, entrust Diamond and Pearl with, like, it's up to you. You've got to look after the Lady Berlitz. And so they're like, 
this will do it for real then. I mean, we're going to actually, you know, protect her with all that we've gotten will be her proper proper bodyguards. And that doesn't last especially long. They only they don't go through that for much time until um, Platinum ends up being reunited with her father. And her father is like, those aren't the bodyguards that I assigned you. And they have to, of course, come to at that point. It's like, we're not your actual bodyguards. They we met with them and you know, this is what happened. And of course, she gets upset with them because they lied to her uh, and didn't trust her with that information. And nothing really big happens for her to forgive them. She just, you know, goes away and just like, you know, sleeps it off, basically, and thinks about it. And she comes back and she's like, I'm not very good with words. So I wrote my thoughts down and I want you to hear me out. And she basically says, like, what you did was, you know, you lied to me and that did really hurt. But you know what? I'm a liar, too. And she goes over every single instance on their journey when she blatantly lied to them, when she said, like, no, I didn't laugh at your joke. No, I do know how to ride a bike. And she just goes through every single one of them. And she says, I've been lying to you this whole time, too. And I don't want to do that anymore. From now on, I'm going to be honest with myself. And what my true feelings are, are that you are two of my very precious friends. And I want to keep going on this journey together with you. And it's so fucking touching. Like I, I legit started tearing up when she started going over the time she had lied. And it's like, ah, oh, this is so, ah, oh, I, I, why? They're good friends. <laughs> Friendship. <laughs> and then they immediately go their separate ways. Yeah. Like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I, I, so. I would say that I liked their relationship a lot. And I really kind of almost wish there was more of kind of like a big moment at the end to really cement that. Because I, I will be honest when I say that this is not my favorite part. And I think it's because it lacks some of the insane, cool moments that like Gold and Silver had. Where like all the Pokedex holders show up at the end for some big crazy nonsense or something like that. Um the end is kind of this weird jumbled mess where it's like a race to get every plot line done while at the same time, for God knows whatever reason, maybe Nintendo forces them to do this. They're like, we have a lot. It's like, oh, like six characters we know are trapped in the other dimension and we have to go find all these legendary Pokemon. It's like, well, hold on. Let's see how Platinum does at the Battle Frontier. And I'm like, oh my God, are we watching the whole fucking Battle Frontier? I think that definitely the series is probably at its best when there is more freedom to just do whatever. Uh, and unfortunately, it seems as though the, it feels as though this part of the, of the manga had the least freedom we've seen thus far, uh, because you have to include so many legendary Pokemon. You have to include the Battle Frontier. When it's doing all this original stuff, that's the stuff that I think that despite the fact that, I mean, I did not really care for the whole double act comedy bit. I think that just the original elements of Diamond and Pearl and Platinum's characters are the best part of this. And then when you have to get into it, it's like, and eh, there's seven gin battles. It's just like it's just kind of there, like very few characters aside from like Cyrus came across very strongly, I think, outside of the protagonists. Like Cynthia shows up a few times and it's like, OK, whatever with with like Cynthia is considered, I think, one of the most popular she like champion the, characters. I think she may be the most popular champion. 
And she does not come out very well in this manga, honestly. She gets her ass handed to her, and that's kind of it. She comes up, and it's one of those things where you're like, I, I'm trying to think if she even, like, I know she shows up at the end at some point, but she doesn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. There's not, like, a very distinct moment or something where you're like, oh, that, holy shit, she showed up and fucking, like, super punched Gara Garantia back into the fucking dimension zone or something. Like, she just shows up at some point. And there's so many different legendary pokemon there's literally a panel that is like a two-page spread of like seven legendary pokemon just punching each other and i'm like i have never felt less in a scene than i am staring at this two-page panel of 17 shitty fucking legendary pokemon fighting each other than i do right now i there definitely could have been more for her Volkner and Flint have always kind of had like a unique presence in those games as like the strongest gym leader and a member of mm-hmm. the Elite Four. And like they don't really accomplish a ton. Like you yeah. do get a taste of their personality. Jupiter, yeah. They build up as crazy strong when she manages to beat two gym leaders and platinum at the same time. You're like, holy shit. And then like it's not kind of a it doesn't feel like a huge deal when she gets beat. Like I'm kind of. Yeah. Like, I mean, like in the in the. In the Diamond and Pearl, like, final uh, conflict, seven of the gym leaders show up in order to try and stop the universe from ending, and Volkner's not there. So, yeah. He, why he, do we introduce him? He, he literally gets a text message that's like, emergency, every gym leader needs to be here, and he's like, meh, nah. <laughs> and just deletes it. And he always stops because an interdimensional wormhole starts opening it up in front of him. He's like, now this is interesting. Like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I mean, he does have a cool introduction because like uh, they say like, they need your help. You need to go and help them. And then Candace and Maylene are traveling with Platinum and they're like, we need training from you. And he's like, no, it's boring. And Platinum has to like convince him like, no, this person that you know took us out is really powerful. That's the ultimate opponent you can have that will, you know, get you excited. And she has to, you know, stand against him and prove that she's strong in order to get him interested. And then she beats him off screen in order to get her last gym badge. It's like, come on. I mean, that's fine. The, the gym battles start off really cool and then kind of dip off around like gym six because there's. They're not in the same kind of format anymore. Mm-hmm. They're like, we kind of have to move around and go to these different things. Like, even Gym 7, which is a traditional gym fight, is one of those moments where it's like, I'll have to use this Pokemon I caught off screen. Boom! <laughs> it's like, oh, of course, you the, the female character has the sexy bunny Pokemon as well. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's just, there's, there's stuff that could have been lifted up. But I, I really do want to just appreciate that in all of it, it was maybe most important to have Cyrus be compelling. And he is like, yes. it's kind of weird. Cause he, he kind of is forgiven for everything at the end of it, which I guess he didn't. Anyway, I'm leaving now. Bye guys. Yeah. He was just like, I mean, you still committed a lot of crimes to get here, but they, they do actually go into not just like making him seem messy, but also explaining his weird mindset mm-hmm. of like, I just, I don't understand people. I don't have a heart that works. I only understood machines. And by being surrounded by these three people with such, you know, unique mental characteristics, he's like, I think I understand this now. And I, I get it. And it's, it's a cool way to make that character more interesting. 
It seems as though that uh, Pokemon Adventures villains end up to one of two ways. Either they uh, are allowed to have a path to redemption or they fall into the space between spaces and their soul is lost to the cruel annals of time and space. Like Price and Archie and Maxie just like don't exist anymore. <laughs> but then Giovanni is just like, I have a kind of dense relationship with my son now. And Cyrus is like, I'm leaving by guys. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm going to take my ragtag group of, I mean, I'm going to be honest. A lot of you are sociopaths. So most gonna... <laughs> wanted list criminals. <laughs> I, I won't lie. There's actually a moment. Cause it's very rare that a manga can actually get like an actual physical reaction out of me, but there's a moment when, uh, diamond is at his lake and he turns and his mom is being threatened like held a hostage with like i don't know it's weird it's a zubat wing but they act like it's a blade it looks like like a scyther yeah. blade and yeah. i'm like oh shit <laughs> i don't know why i'm like nobody hurt that mom that mom that we've barely gotten to know at all <laughs> but I, in my mind i transplanted all of the memories i have of the vague moms from the game onto them Oh, so, right. No, she's the one who decorates my room and sends me money and makes sure that I'm doing okay. <laughs> she calls me once in a while. <laughs> when my real mom calls me, it's just sad. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, I think that a lot. Of, it's one of the things that seems like it is missing from the series uh, is that this stretch of the series is that the executives don't get that. Like we beat them kind of feeling moments. Like you mentioned with Jupiter, uh, because so much stuff is happening so fast that it, you can't really get weight to it. And I think that part of it has to do with that last bit where it's like, okay, and now we do the platinum mark, which is two and a half volumes. And it's just, we need to have a bunch of more legendary Pokemon show up in order to resolve everything. And also there's battle frontier. So I think that if that had been used to instead pace out like the last stretch of the diamond and pearl chapters, then it would have probably ended up being better. So I'm pretty much in agreement with you that like overall, this is probably like, I think that out of the main arcs, this is probably the weakest that we've seen so far. Um, but at least it did have a very strong, uh, it had a strong villain and it had a very strong interaction between his protagonists, probably the strongest I think that we've seen uh, so far. So lots of ups and downs and it kind of evens out to eh, still all right. I, I actually like it better than other parts we've read. Like I like it better than like red and green or red and blue or whatever it is. And even maybe even fire red and leaf green, just because even though the end is weird there's less of a, like, reliance on forcing these, like, one-on-one -on -one battles like it's a battle shonen manga. Because, look, I mean, mm -hmm. the fights in Pokemon manga are amusing for a moment, but largely they're kind of incomprehensible. And they're only interested to see what creative takes they do on things. And I think this manga succeeds in, like, whenever it's, like, a platinum gym battle, she usually does try something creative to win. And that's yeah. more enjoyable than... Like, hey, we made sure all the Elite Four have an evil one-on-one -on -one matchup against somebody or something like that, you know? Uh, so I do appreciate for that. And again, I, I always appreciate when you give a villain more context to make them more interesting. I think the big weakness for me is just the, the Battle Frontier stuff is so unnecessary. And not only that, but every one of the 15 characters from that need to show up at the end. So maybe those moments when other characters do show up just don't. This one's bad. bear. This one is Pearl's father. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, cool, and fucking Buck. I hope Buck's okay. 
I hope Heatran didn't burn Buck up too bad. So I'll applaud, I'll applaud Diamond and Pearl for taking my least favorite Pokemon gen and actually making a pretty good manga out of it. And I'll say that there are also, you know, just like small moments that I really like. Um, the fact that they built up Diamond as having this very heavyweight team that has a lot of slow fighters on it. And that's something that he's, you know, got to find a way to make up for that one glaring weakness in his lineup. Uh, the stuff that Pearl does in order to bond with the wild looks right that eventually joins his team after like the third meeting that they have uh, some some of the things that Platinum does where she just demonstrates that despite the fact that she's supposed to be this pampered Ojo-sama character she's definitely willing to get her hands dirty in order to succeed and she's really got this strong will uh, and desire to come out on top like she does the thing where in her f- battle with Crasher Wake, she goes straight from training in the marsh to just battling him. So she's covered in mud, ends up falling in the water. And they're like, the mud is covering everything, but she's going to surface soon. And she just like has taken off the coveralls that she was in to make air bubbles so that she can swim on the other side of the platform, come out and kill him. <laughs> it's crazy stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. It's it's very, very fun. So still definitely a fun part of the series. Um, and uh, yeah. It wasn't Emerald, so two thumb, two thumbs up. So. <laughs> All right, let's talk about regular manga, Nick. Let's yeah, talk about our usuals. My Hero Academia to start things off with Chapter 217, The New Power, and All for One. Uh, we cut to the evening after the uh, interclass battles, and Bakugo is attacking Deku. Uh, they're, like, sparring, um, and Bakugo's like, Why aren't you activating your new quirk? And uh, All Might is with them and he's and he breaks them up and he's like, stop it. It's not working. Bakugo is trying to push Deku to a point where the new black tendril quirk would activate and it is not activating despite this. Um, Deku just realizes like the, the presence is gone uh, for now. I can't seem to do it. And uh, we have get a flashback from there. I guess that this conversation took place just before they started sparring. But anyway. Uh, go through a lot of stuff where like Baku has actually joined them for their discussions of one for all now because, you know, he's the only other person who is in on the secret. And uh, we get my favorite Bakugo, which is observant, intelligent, cuts through all the bullshit Bakugo. When he's like, this is all connected to All for One, isn't it? And they're like, what are you talking about? Well, you've got multiple quirks like All for One does. And also they're linked and <laughs> immediately is like, yeah, they're linked to each other, right? He's got multiple quirks, so you're the same as him. So that means that there's related to, you're related to All for One. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. Well, yeah. well all right then. <laughs> I was going to make a big deal about it, but I I was going to give a dramatic review with a huge backstory involving how they were brothers. (laughs) He's like, nah, I get it. They're both connected. You both have multiple quirks. It's the whole thing. I get it. So Deku is, you know, tries to does a little bit of self-reflection, trying to figure out what he to do in order to get this new quirk to activate. And Baku is like, whatever, if you can't, if you if you're not going to call upon it, then I don't care. I'm leaving. It just says it's. Fair enough, uh, then. They get back to the dorms, and people from Class 1B are also hanging out, and we see a little bit of banter taking place between Classes 1B and 1A as they're hanging out together. It is a unique, a unique sight to see just everyone interacting and uh, just 
all hanging out in the different dorm rooms. There's a very weird detail where Ashido is doing the clockwork orange. Uh, I forget the exact name of the treatment to Mineta with his, you know, eyes, you know, peeled open. forced open. Yeah. And it's, you don't see what he's being forced to watch, but um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no one comments on it. It's no. uh, It's a very subtle, horrifying thing. <laughs> I know that she was pissed off at him because he, you know, took the fight as an opportunity to, you know, grope some boobs and stuff. But what exactly is she doing? <laughs> um, Todoroki uh, comes up to Deku and says, you know, I didn't really know that you were you had two quirks. So what's up with that? And, you know, also you you kind of yelled at me because I was holding back from using one of my quirks. But it turns out you were hiding one this whole time. And it's like, no, 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 I. No, I it, I it didn't manifest until today. And Todoroki's like, oh, I'm sorry for getting pissed off at you in the way that I get pissed off by, you know, quietly talking to people pointedly. I do like Bakugo is listening in on this and he's like, he's sharp, but also dull. <laughs> <laughs> he's smart, but also stupid. <laughs> How smart? What an idiot. <laughs> but, um... Todoroki uh, is inspired by this development. He's like, okay, well, if, you, if that's happening with you, then I can't keep running away from one of my quirks. I need to keep aiming higher. And he contacts his dad and and uh, says, hey, you should teach me stuff about using flash fire. So there you go. We cut to a conference between some of the teachers who are going over uh, the results of the battles, especially including the fact that, oh, yeah, Shinso was there and they're going to be transferring him to the hero course uh, in time. Uh, as they walk off from the meeting, President Mike uh, is walking with Aizawa and he says, you see yourself in him, don't you, in Shinso? Or is this about Shirakumo? And Aizawa says, hey, if you if you got to make a point then make it because i've got shit to do and the conversation just stops there presumably this is probably somewhat related to the brief flashback we saw in the last chapter from Aizawa's perspective we cut to the to later on when uh Aizawa has brought monoma to see airy uh mirio is also there and deku and airy refers to monoma as the dark side of ua because that is what mirio uh, addressed him as before. Um, and, uh, yeah. He's like, why are you calling me that? And she's like, well, it's because I told her that you're UA's dark side. It's like, oh, that's mean. It was interesting because this was like the panel that was teased out by Sasaki on Twitter when he's like, what does Aerie mean by the dark side of UA? And I was like, oh man, did they meet Aerie and she knows what's up with like the, the baby, like the, the, she mold? knows who the imposter is. Yeah. yeah I'm like, she's like, no, I've heard you're an asshole. And I'm like, oh, well we all knew that. <laughs> also, she goes, oh no. While she's like grabbing onto Mirio's pant leg. And it's like, okay. Made him out to be a horror villain. Okay. And of course, as expected, Aizawa has Monoma try and capture Aerie's quirk, but he says, no, 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 it's, it's a blank. Sorry. Um, and no, they're like, get her little horn. He gets her horn. It's, it's like, oh, OK. And uh, they're like, what do you mean by blank? And Monoma says, well, she's the same as you, uh, Midoriya, the type of quirk that has to store something up. My power only copies the bare bones essence of a quirk. If the copied ability needs to convert some stockpiled resource into energy, then I won't be able to replicate whatever is accumulated. 
And the example of this is pointed out is fat gums quirk. It relies upon body fat being stored in the body. If he tried to do it, then he has a much lower body body fat and it would not be nearly as effective. So and he says that's just the issue that I run into now and then. The nature of the quirk makes that to copying certain ones useless to me. And Deck is like, well, thank God that one for all works that way. Otherwise, he would have killed himself. Um, and it makes sense when you think about it like that. It's like, oh, yeah, one for all stockpiles energy and it becomes becomes stronger and stronger the more that it's passed down from one user to another because the previous user's strength and abilities are passed on through it. So, of course. So, um, they, of course, were going to try and uh, copy Ares' quirk so that, you know, someone who could actually properly use it would be able to, you know, use it properly. Uh, and then also, Aizawa's purpose was not to actually just, you know, exploit it, but also, hey, Monoma could actually copy it and teach her how to use it. And that would help her out and give her a peace of mind. And it's like, that's a really nice sentiment that it's like, we want her to not be afraid and think of herself as a monster anymore. Yeah. So. But Ari just apologizes and she's like, I wish I never had this power because I've made so much trouble for everyone. And Deku gives her a, be- a bit of comfort and is like, hey, did you forget? You know, your quirk saved me. You you saved me with your power when I fought with you. And he explains it very simply, which is like, you know, any power is, you know, just about it's just defined by how you use it. A sharp knife is really dangerous, but if you use it right, you can make some yummy food. And I think your power is really something special. But as he says this to her, of course, he realizes that can same thing can be applied to her quirk, to his quirk. You know, I will make this power my ally. I will make it my own and I'll master it. And he knows not to be afraid of the new manifestations anymore. So it all comes together. It's also, I think, meant to be a callback to earlier in the chapter when. With Todoroki. Mm. uh, No, with actually a Bakugo when he says, you're the same as him. Mm. Referring to all for one. Because he seems to be saying like, yeah, I know. He specifically calls out the line, this makes you the same as him. So I think mm. it's referenced earlier in the chapter and Deku maybe has a bit of a worry that he's like, oh, my power is so similar for, you know, all for one. And he's like, well, I'm not going to. I mean, it's going to be a tremendous bad. asshole. And yeah. So I do like how it all, how it all ties together in this. It's a nice, it's a nice, sweet little chapter. Yeah, so it's very fun. Food Wars. Chapter 299, like yin and yang. Uh, so, Takumi Was and Was that Soma, Nick or did Uncle from Jackie Chan Adventures just show Like up? yin and yang. <laughs> One more thing. <laughs> so they use the Mezzaluna together. Um, Takumi demonstrates his specialty preparation, La Danza de la Spada, uh, which is... He takes the Mezzaluna and he goes, <laughs> swirls it around and slices shit really fast. And then he passes it over to Soma. And Soma uses a different cutting technique. And Don Kama is like, how are they working so seamlessly together? And Mekami is, wa- is watching and uh, Une is watching. And Une is like, the one who can share in his freakish talent is the one deeply connected to him by blood and shared experience, Isami Aldini. At least so one would think. And Takumi presents his 
finished dish together. It's a verine that appears to only have one layer, and then they look closer, and they're like, wait a minute, it's forming a yin-yang symbol. They are vertical layers instead of horizontal layers. Ooh. Like, still only two layers. <laughs> it's, it's, it's still not as impressive as the previous one. <laughs> that one had like 50 layers. <laughs> the bartender wins, Bump. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even eat it yet. I don't care. I eat well, with my eyes. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm not in this contest to eat food. <laughs> Uh, so, the variant that they have created is a combination of cheese and turtle. And Don Kama is like, that's a stupid idea. <laughs> he specifically says, are you two boys stupid? Pairing dairy with freshwater seafood? They have utterly distinct and different smells and you're mashing them into one. Basically, Mitha says that they will destroy each other's blah. But oh, we did a blah. Which makes them blah. Stuff in the in the area where the two layers meet is mixed together with snack crackers uh, that Soma has contributed, and um, yeah. Also, Takumi is like, is he doing? Is the idea that he is doing? Uh, oh, okay, that's it's a flashback. I thought that he was giving this explanation while just twirling the mezzaluda in his free hand. <laughs> But no, it's a flashback. He's like, well, I was chopping them up. See, uh, basically his amazing ability to chop up ingredients really, really finely with the Mezzaluna combined with, with Soma's offering a, a very bizarre ingredient has allowed this to work together really well. And everyone's like, it's amazing. And Don Kama's like, oh, everyone wants to try it. No, there's no way that it would taste good. How could it possibly? How, how are you so good? And we get a flashback that explains that uh, Takubi had a proper Shokugeki to win his Mezzaluna back from Soma eventually after, oh yeah, you know, he had, um, he basically just kind of entrusted it to him after Mimasaka, after winning it from Mimasaka. And he's like, I won it, yes. And Soma's like, let's have a rematch because I want to prove that I can beat you. So forget about the Mezzaluna, let's just have another match. And then he won, and then Takumi's like, here, have the Mezzaluna. And Zoma's like, no. And he's like, yes, because you've beaten me. You've got to have it. And they keep on having rematches over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that that's it. Apparently, that's how they learned to work together was by fighting each other. It's a very shonen thing, whatever. It's not a bad idea. It's just one of those ones that I wish we had maybe seen more of a glimpse of this outside of a flashback before this point maybe like have uh during the here's what everyone's been up to chapter at the very beginning of the arc like actually see some of the different matches these and training these guys have been going through just dedicate a little bit more time to just the setup so that then when it's called upon as a reason for why they're so good you can be slowly like oh okay yeah that was at least set up and so i want the accountant from totsuki to just be like they've done 49 How? contests this week. You know what the average fucking cost of a Shokugeki is? We've got $90,000. What kind of a fucking 90000 He's like, we have to set up a stadium. We have to get all the lights working. They don't, we don't own that stadium. We rent it. It's on all our property, though. They start throwing ingredients away. 
<laughs> we are very bad at, at economic use of our resources. <laughs> Here's the issue with giving our students free reign to request whatever fucking food they want. You know what they ask for? Dodo eggs. You know how fucking hard it is to find those? They're gone. It's literally impossible. <laughs> but we still have to bring something to the fucking table. Why don't we hit up Eden Zero, Chris? All right, let's talk about Eden Zero. Chapter 31. Stupidity contained therein. The people of Digitalists. So we open with Lemony Snicket. No, sorry. It's Zhao Mei, and she just does the Lemony Snicket thing where she's like, Hello, everyone. I'm the narrator. Do it, do it like the Netflix version of Hello, everyone. I'm Zhao Mei. Yeah, I'm Zhao Mei. Narrator in story. <laughs> and they found all of them. The overseer, which here means a seer who is over top of everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, she gives this whole thing about like, hey, they have two of the shining stars. They found a third one, Hermit, but to rescue her heart, they have to go in there. And she's like, mm, I wonder what kind of adventure they're going to have there. And then she starts walking away. She's like, oh, allow me to apologize in advance because this particular story will be exceedingly sadistic, you see. I'm very sorry, with a big smile on her face. What could that possibly mean? Who knows? So, last time, Rebecca was the first into the world, and then someone on top of a giant rabbit showed up. And Rebecca's like, who are you? And the is like, ha, I can't blame you for not realizing I am an exiled prince and a swordsman leading my people in battle to restore my motherland. Or such is the backstory that I, Hamor, have given my character. Oops, I said that out loud. I was like, I almost would have more enjoyed a story where she never spoiled that out loud. I know it's her entire fucking gimmick as she says shit out loud, but how long it would have been, like chapters upon chapters, everyone's like, oh, that's Hamora. She was <laughs> just there the whole time. Everyone's like, oh, uh, Rebecca's like, oh, you, why'd you choose a male avatar? She's like, it was an option. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> and then they're like, honestly, up? like there are several different things happen in terms of the character creation in this. Out of all the ones that we see, this is one of the two that I do actually really like. Which is like, I just felt like doing it. And she came up with this whole backstory. And so I was like, all right, getting into the RPG spirit. Good for you. And then she's like, what's this? What's that horse? And she's like, I had intended to select a white horse option for a mount. They're like, well, it's not white. It's not a horse. And she's like, no, apparently it is a horse. <laughs> you know, like, all right. Uh, and then a, a smoking hot babe shows up. And everyone's like, who are you? And they're like, Oh, dude, she knew it's me. Your boy, voice. I mean, you go. And they're like, why did you choose a female avatar? And he's like, I mean, it was an option, you know. And he grabs his boobs. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I can shoot using the bats now. I can. Uh, I think that... Um... Weiss did not actually think through his character selection very well. Again, we see the consequent we see a hint of the consequences of it later. So So then we see Pino, who looks like Pino, but taller and as a person. And yeah. she's like, Yeah, it's 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 Carla's human form, basically. Mm -hmm. It's Pino's human form. And then maybe my favorite moment in the entire series is Shiki <laughs> shows up and he's like I couldn't decide what I wanted my avatar to look like, so I just made it look like me. And it's his face on, like, Brock Lesnar's body with, like, the neck that's four times too large and, like, a super physique. 
and apparently they all yell at him so much he changes it. So now he just looks like kind of like a wild man. Like he's wearing like the Tarzan kind of like uh, vest and shit like that. I do like the just absolute sincerity of like, I just made it look like me. And it was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> what do you think? You We need to give you more feedback if you think this is what you look like. Uh, so they're like, OK, well, we're here. We need to figure out what to do. Uh, so, hey, let's go check out a town. I mean, that must be where things happen, you know? Uh, so they go to the town, and they're like, wow, this is so crazy. And they're talking to a, a shopkeeper, and he's like, oh, ho, ho, I'm so glad there are players here. I'm an NPC, and back in the day, we could only say one line, but now we have It autonomy. was torture! <laughs> <laughs> but now we have autonomy, and we can say whatever we want. Uh, and everyone's like, wow, it's so weird. He, he, he it's <laughs> cocky. Vagina. Everyone's like, I don't I don't want to know what happens. I if couldn't you... say anything but the same two sentences for 50 years. I will swear as much as I fucking want. God damn it. Uh, they're like, wow, it's, it's it's crazy. He really does act like he's alive. She's like, I bet people here have hearts, too. And I'm reminded of the really weird line from New Kingdom Hearts where someone's like, everyone can have hearts, even data. And I'm like, fucking recoded. Uh, anyway, they're like, all right, so we need to figure out players that are maybe doing less than honorable things here. And then probably that'll help us figure out why Hermit's heart's kind of locked away and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So they're like, all right, let's split around town and we'll look. And we see the characters are trying different things. They're talking to different people. Weiss tries to lure someone in with his looks, and the person just walks straight past him. Uh, but the one thing I guess that's very particular is that Pino walks by a mirror, and she sees herself in the mirror, and she's very, very happy with how she looks. She seems quite pleased to be a real human. It's very cute, honestly. So we got our uh, Pinocchio character of this. Yeah. I hope that she, I hope that Pinocchio gets turned into a real girl. Mm. I, I legit actually want that from her because she actually looks happy when she sees herself. So, so like, oh, okay, well, we'll go rest. Uh, maybe we'll head over there tomorrow. Hey, we'll head north. Uh, and Shiki's like, well, tonight we sleep. Because like, what? We're not logging out, asshole. We can't do that. We're here for Hermit. And then there's a joke about uh, Weiss wanting to get into the bath again. Uh, when suddenly a figure comes into like the, the inn, he's like, I want a woman. He's like, I want a woman. He's like, this is a, that sort of establishment. <laughs> I do like, like that detail. It's like, no, sir, you are misunderstood. You are mistaken. We are not a whorehouse. <laughs> the brothel's down the street. It has an NC-17 sign out front. You can't see it because there's always a naked woman dancing at the mailbox in front of it. But it is there, I assure you, connected to the auction house. Uh... So no, instead it's a guy who looks. Um, it's that's yeah. There's actually someone else that reminds me of it. I'm Dark trying, like <laughs> trying to place who it is. Oh, Doctor Hogback. That's who it is. It looks like a really? yeah, 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 a, yeah. With thin, pointy nose, yeah, and the, the version of Doctor Hogback. Yeah. Uh, and the guy's like, "I knew woman. I knew she's here." And the NPC is like, no, don't. You can't attack NPCs. He's like, not for me. I can kill an NPC and still not get banned because I'm a chosen player. Wah, 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 wah. Next chapter. So he's going to try and rape Weiss. 
I mean, Jesus. That's where this is going, right? The levels of fucking tone-deaf nonsense, if that actually happens, would be outstanding. (laughs) Which is why it will happen. Yeah, all right. I, I I mean I, that this is at the point where I've kind of gotten with Eden Zero. It's like at least I mean shit happens in it, so at least I'm not bored when I read it. But I'm at the point where whenever the subject of the female gender is brought up, I'm just like, okay, what are you gonna do now? What sex thing are you gonna do now? And it's like the immediate conclusion I jump to would be, what is the most fan servicey? comedic thing that could happen in this situation it would be weiss and his female body getting molested by this creep Mm. so well let's see what happens i guess that's the kind of thing and if it doesn't happen that's the kind of thing that you have to reach for in order to outdo eden zero at this point so let's move on to uh hell warden higuma if my computer will stop being frozen i would really appreciate that Boop, 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 boop. I can't move the cursor. I hope the people can still hear my voice. Yeah, we can still okay, hear you. Okay, cool. All right. So, Hellworn Higuma. It is Chapter 8, Kitsune Part 2. Last time we learned that uh, Higuma's next target is a Kitsune who preys upon the feelings that a mother feels for their children. Uh, yeah. And we actually uh, start off this chapter after a brief little conversation between uh, Higuma and Enma uh, with him waking up, which I guess that he, this stuff happens when he's asleep or is it a time? Hmm? I don't know. But anyway, he is late for school. And uh, when he ends up getting to class, we actually see things from the perspective of a new character a girl in his class uh, who has a crush on him. Like that's just immediately like obvious. Uh, But when Higuma finally gets to class, the teacher scolds him and she is just like the most absolute, like, you know, just old shrew kind of character. She's, you know, got the pointy glasses and the hair and the bun and stuff. And she gets really pissed at him. And she's like, why are you so late? He's like, well, you see, I have a pet that can teleport me to places in an instant. And he's supposed to wake me up too, but sometimes he oversleeps and he gets mad if I set an alarm. (laughs) Just tells her the actual truth. And then she, of course, gets pissed off at him and chews him out. He's like, you're going to flunk out from lack of attendance if you keep this up. So don't waste your life but because of that he's like all right fine and then he gets out and fucking uh the other boon is just like so how was it like, ah, let's go get some food <laughs> just don't care whatever we're demon hunters what does this all matter they go to lunch because apparently that's how late higuba was uh and again we catch up with our new character akane and uh, things seem to be going great for her. And she's talking about how with her friend about how it's like, oh, yeah, things are going really well. My mom's expecting uh, a new kid soon. And uh, he actually also calls her attention because uh, he knows that she wanted a particular omelet uh, and he took the last one. And so they trade lunches and she gets all embarrassed, all kind of flustered and happy because her crush just did something nice for her. 
but he also brings up like, oh, I've heard, you know, stuff about your family. And, oh, yeah, you're when when's the uh, when's the kid due? And uh, uh, she says, oh, it'll be next month. And I, I hope I'm going to be a that's going to be my second younger sister. And I hope I'll be a good sister. And he was like, oh, you already are one. But I'll pray for your family at the temple for a, pray, a prayer for safe childbirth. It's like, oh, what a nice kid. Um, so what and, was I supposed uh, to pray for sandwiches. That's right. <laughs> Okay, right. She wants sandwiches just <laughs> the day of the childbirth. <laughs> just gives birth to a sandwich. <laughs> I was going to go that far, but okay, sure. <laughs> then uh, Higuma gets a call from um, Itomi. I'm not sure who that is. I don't know if we've actually met that person or if it's... Oh, anyway, let's see. Itomi Meguri. Hmm. I don't know if we've actually seen that person yet or not. I don't think so. But uh, he gets a warning that, like, the fugitive spirit that you're after is not just in their vicinity, it, but that means because they're in his vicinity that they're probably going to be targeting him. Because usually if uh, Rogue Spirit is actually nearby uh, Bunraisha or Hell Warden, then that means that they are specifically going after them. And uh, so he's like, so this one, however, is probably not going to attack you head on. They're probably going to try and attack someone or take possession of someone near you. So do you know of any women who match his particular preferences? And he thinks about it a bit while also we get a re-emphasis, an additional emphasis on what Akane was thinking to herself earlier. Oh, things are going great. School's fun. I've got friends. I've got a crush. At home, I'll find my wonderful mom and my cute little sister. And then she gets a flash in her mind of this demonic claw springing out towards her pregnant mother and sister and thinking, and she just thinks, what, what was that? I should go home and see my family. We cut back to Higuma who gets on the phone a bit with, uh, Ayaha and, uh, then he learns from, uh, Akane's friend that, uh, she has gone home and he's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he thinks to himself, Fugitive spirits don't possess Bunresha, so if it's not Ayaha, then outside of my family, the only other girls I know are at school, and it's probably, and he runs and he ends up catching up with Akane, sends out his number one hand, and Akane whirls around and slashes it apart with this demonic-looking blade, and sure enough, she's been possessed by the spirit of the Kitsune, and she's like, let's begin. So... So I, I actually quite like this chapter. This was a nice kind of fast paced thing going up to the reveal. And uh, it was definitely a little a different taste for what Higuma's character is like, because we haven't seen him in this kind of setting before. And it seems a lot. I, I definitely got really big bleach vibes off of this. You know, the kid at school who has to deal with rogue spirits and stuff. Um so maybe some uh, maybe this will I think maybe this will you know get things kind of like back on track after the previous mini fight didn't really do a whole lot for me. Gotcha. All right, let's move on to Neolation and Process Nine, the legendary brother Tia of the Mountain Pass. Uh, brother, it took me a while to actually figure out exactly how you're supposed to read the whole title because it was like the is like the legendary brother Ta of the Mountain Pass is no, no, no legendary brother Ta of the Mountain. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, so we start with uh, Neo basically saying like, hey, I, I got an announcement. You guys need to find me some bad guys and we're going to wipe them out one by one. It's a very straightforward de- way of dealing with his new problem. Yeah, And he is not telling everybody what happened, uh, but we can see he has a little bandaid on his cheek now to cover where that bullet skimmed by him. 
Mm-hmm. So he says, yeah, I tried to look for Gavaldon, didn't find anything, nothing on the dark web. I, I gotta, I gotta find this guy. He says he's, you know, produces criminals, so I'm gonna just keep meddling with bad guys, and eventually I'm gonna find somebody who's affiliated with him, and I'm gonna make him and his stupid fluffy hat pay. <laughs> Chris, why did you shoot Neo in the fucking knee? Like, <laughs> I, you know what? I just thought that he was having it too easy for too long. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> so you go and Daigo go out, and Daigo's like. Huh, I wonder, do you think we're going to be able to find a bad guy? And Yuko just, like, points, and there's a weird guy standing outside of Daigo's sister's hot dog stand. And it's, like, a great moment, because he's imagining to himself how the situation is going to go. So he's like, one hot dog, please. And then he does her, and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, we're all out of sausages. Would you come with me to buy some more? And then they get swept up in a flood. (laughs) A black flood (laughs) happens. And he's like, oh no, we'll freeze to death. I gotta take off my clothes to warm you up with my body heat. And it's such an elaborate story. Like, why she would be like, honey, I have a hot dog stand. I ran out of hot dogs. You want to go get some with me? (laughs) Uh, And they're like, oh, this guy has to be a notorious pervert. So they brought him to Neo. (laughs) (laughs) Just like... And Neo does this whole blaze trick where he, you know, blasts him with everything. And then uh, you're like, oh, I guess um, maybe we were a bit ahead of ourselves here. Uh, because he reveals himself to be Brother Ta, uh, the head priest of his temple. But he has, like, the whole Yakuza tattoos. Maybe not Yakuza, but definitely, like, uh, a seedy kind of character amount of tattoos and the glasses and everything. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, I'm not a stalker. I'm dedicated to Mizuho. I achieved enlightenment, and during my worst times, I would just imagine her punishing me, and that pain turned into pleasure. And it's like, I was like, quit fantasizing about my sister in front of me, you weird freak. And he's just like, yeah, you know, I, I guess you did do her a real solid. You know, you found my sister's food truck on the the cheap end. You know, and he's like, yeah. So just call me, just call me Big Brother. And Daigo's face, like, uh, come again. <laughs> you want to say that again for me, buddy? <laughs> but Ta says, like, hey, you know, I hear you guys are looking for bad guys, so I think I have something for you. So, you know, why don't as a way of paying me back for all the hospital burns that I'm going to our treatments for my hospital burns. Uh, you know, why don't you do this for me? So they drive out, and he's got, like, a really nice car, and he's like, yeah, you know, I used to be a legendary street racer who was number one in this area. Uh, and Daigo has to, like, throw like, no, it's a crime. It's a crime. Don't forget that. And he's like, uh, I, uh, uh, stopped that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, we, you know, we need to stop a particular street racer. So... There is a pot shot at Fast and the Furious where they're like, aren't street racers like the guys uh, in Fast and the Furious? It's like, nah, man, these these are real ones. I mean, accurate, like <laughs> true. I mean, there was, you know, we're not gonna. Get yeah, it. they're not just they're not street racers. They're you know criminals they're, that are a family. National superheroes who solve crimes with cars. I think. Uh, so they get to this meeting and they're like ah you know all this stuff's kind of going on here we see uh one guy show up the saki he's got like an afro he's like ah brother todd it's been so long you know 
A, they point out that there's one guy over there that's been causing all the problems. Some guy that's been winning all these bets and really kind of putting people in debt. And we see him, and he goes by the name of Boogie. He's this guy, he's got like shaved sides to his hair, and he's wearing like a half tank top and fucking like slippers. He's surrounded by two girls. and like Those are not driving shoes, by the way. No, not at all. Those are, those are just slip off of your heel, and then you'll, and when you're trying to go between the accelerator and brake, and then you're just going to fuck yourself up. Yeah. So one guy starts coming up, and he's like, oh, man, please, let me let me make a bet. Let me challenge you again. Boogie's like, I never got your last payment. Can't do it again. And he's like, please, just let me do one lap. And one of the women to his side's like, what do you, how dare you do this? You know that if you don't pay Boogie, then how is he going to buy us name brand stuff? You don't get it. And Boogie places his hand on the back of her head. He says, the one who doesn't get it is you, and slams her face into the roof of the car. Uh, and just starts dragging her face, uh, like slamming it over and over again. And he explains, he's like, I don't do it for you. I do it because it makes you happy and I'm the one who's controlling you. So by making you happy, I'm making myself happy. Understand, I'm not spending money for your sake. Uh, and then Daigo interferes. He's like, hey, well, that's no way to treat a woman. Like, you can't do that. And he's like... Oh, what? You want this woman? Huh? You want this girl? Let's make a bet for this girl. If I win, I'll get I've got here. braces. Yeah, he does have like, I think it's supposed to be a grill, but yeah, it does look like braces from here. And he's like, if you win, I'll give her to you to do whatever you want with her. Of course, Daigo's even more upset by that. Oh, what time? <laughs> so, you know, they, they move away. You see the woman's like, oh, I'm so sorry, Boogie. I, I didn't mean it. He's like, yeah, I know. You'd be lost without me. So we go over and Mizuho's... Or, no, go wash off that blood. It's ruining your pretty face. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> You're hideous now. Uh, so, like, uh, Misaki, I think is his name, or Misaka. He explains... Pro like, dude. Yeah, yeah, he's like... I don't understand how he does it. Because, like, normally racers have, like, a kind of thing that they're the same person kind of whenever they drive. But Boogie's different. He's really inconsistent. There's something off about the way he races. And he's stupidly accurate with it I, I i sometimes wonder if the machine itself is a whole other car sometimes like i just don't get it and they're like i know and he's saying this to brother ta he's like i know i have no right to go on about this after you left the scene but you're the only one i could turn to brother ta's like all right i'm a priest so it's my job to show the way to those who feel lost and he touches uh neo on the shoulder and he's like Good luck with this, buddy. <laughs> He's like, I'm, I'm passing it off to you. And immediately, uh, like, Daigo's like, no, you can't do this. And as this is happening in the background, Misaka runs back and he's just like, guys, Brother Ta's going to save us. He's going to stop Boogie. So everyone runs up and they're like, Brother Ta, Brother Ta, Brother Ta. And he just quietly sits there and he's like, all right, I guess let's go do it. <laughs> Let's let's do this together, Neo. Uh, so Neo's like, all right, if you do the driving, I'll help you out. Because if our opponent's going to cheat, then I'll use an even sketchier cheat using my computer. That's where the chapter ends. We're, we've got a new little uh, thing set up here. I don't know yep. if Boogie is meant to be one of the members of Gavaldin's group, but it is possible. I really don't care for Brother Ta, so... I didn't really like this chapter, honestly, very much. I kind of got sick of him pretty quickly. So yeah, that's fair. 
All right, let's talk about We Never Learned then. Question 99. Nonetheless, a predecessor imitates X's appearance, anticipating tomorrow. So this is a chapter. Uega's uh, working at the maid cafe, and they're like, wow, you know, you're so handy. It's so great. Uh, you know, if you don't pass his, you know, even if it doesn't pass the exams, he could still work here full time. Uh, and then he goes home with uh, uh, Asumi. 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 And he's like, you know, they're, they're studying math problems. And she's like, you know, I appreciate you working every, you know, late every night, but are you getting enough sleep? He's like, absolutely. And he steps into the two puddle and then hits his head on the telephone pole. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't read while you're, you know, walking, but, yeah. <laughs> so she takes him to the clinic and her dad's like, oh, you know, you're just a bit sleep deprived. You know, it's, it's a good thing. You know, no injuries or anything like that, but it's a stressful time. So, you know, you could do it. And Uega's like, okay, I'll get going. Thanks for the help. He's like, the fuck you are? You're staying with us tonight, buddy. My daughter's boyfriend comes into my clinic hurt. I couldn't dare send him home. I couldn't do that. Uh, and there's like a joke of uh, uh, Asumi being like, oh, why not just stay the night? And her imagining her like in bed in negligee being like, hurry and come warm me up. And then it's like a hard cut to him in the patient's room. And he's like, oh, right. This is exactly what they do if I had to stay the night in a patient clinic. I don't know why my mind went to the other thing. Yuiga's finally hitting puberty at age 17 or 18. Like, uh, So he's like, well, I'm here. I'm in hospital clothes. I guess I'll just study to myself. And then Asumi comes in and she's like, hey, you were told to rest. Stop studying. And she's in a little little nurse outfit. She's like, I heard you need a little medical attention. And, uh, of course, Uega's like, nurse. And she's like, it's for an event for the store. No real nurses dress like this anymore. <laughs> and he's like, oh, well, why are you wearing it now? And she's like, well, I wanted you to be the first to see me in it. How is it? Is it cute? And of course, I actually like that Uega is like, at first stunned. And he's like, I get it. You're doing this again. You're just teasing me. So, of course, she's like, Oh, that's you don't think it's cute. He's like, fine. I said it's cute. She's like, yeah, I knew it. You were into dirty nurses, aren't you? <laughs> you, you filthy bird. You like dirty, <laughs> dirty nurses, don't you? <laughs> so she, she's just teasing them a whole bit. Starts giving them like a, a back massage for everything, and she starts talking about giving up the VIP rack. And she's like, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. And he's like, well, yeah, I know. I, I chose myself. I know I won't be able to make a living right away. I'm trying to lessen the burden on everybody by, you know, putting as much money away as I can. She's like, because otherwise you'll just feel bad about doing something just for yourself, right? And she's like, you know, uh, you know, don't try to take everything on yourself. You got to relax more. And then she starts tickling him. So, he'll, you know, he'll start laughing around. Uh, and then they fall off the bed. And the blanket falls off the bed and lands on top of them. And there's a moment where they're underneath the cover and you wake us on top and... She seems very nervous and uh, flustered right now. Uh, and uh, Uega's like, oh, I just feeling shy. She's like, of course not. I'm older than you. Uh, and then they pull the cover up and they see that uh, Sahi's dad or Sumi's dad is peeking in through the window or through the door. And they're like, how long have you been watching? He's like, uh, since I wanted you to be the first to see me in it. And you're like, Ew, very weird and disturbing. <laughs> that is horrifically unnerving that you would stay that long after hearing that line in particular. 
I thought that I would get to see my daughter having sex and being impregnated and give me a grandchild. That's not weird at all, is it? Yes! Yes, it is! <laughs> it's extremely weird. I thought it would take a lot to beat Ogata's weird-ass dad, but you've far surpassed him, good sir. Uh, suddenly, a mom shows up with her sick kid, and you know we have just a little moment of seeing the dad at work showing, like, yeah, you know, it, it actually isn't a fever. Just get, you know, hydrate her. She'll be fine. You know, don't worry about paying me for anything. Your your mom comes by all the time and gives me vegetables, so you don't have to worry about anything. It's actually very sweet. Yeah, and assume he's kind of sitting there watching from the window, and she's like, stupid dad, why doesn't he just take the money? And uh, he's like, of course, as the charitable person, like, I think he's wonderful. And she's like, yeah, that nice money just fucking took out of the electric bill, asshole. <laughs> uh, but then she's like, yeah. I can't really talk, though, because I'm the one choosing to follow in his footsteps, so I'm plenty stupid, too. And as you know, it's not very lucrative, but I kind of like how my dad gets to do things his own way. So this is the path you've chosen, and I don't think you should feel bad about it. And if I was your family, and I found out that you were taking all of this on by yourself and bearing so much weight, I'd want to tell you to just live your life, dummy. It's a very sweet moment they have together. And then fucking the dad. I don't know how he does it. He rises up like two stories, I guess. And he's like, <laughs> he's like when you say family, are you referring to marriage? And uh, they yell at him. That's chapter. I I actually quite like this chapter. Uh, I, do, I mean, it seems as though the series is ramping up the racy moments with, you know, oh, Yui goes in an embarrassing situation with one of the girls and it's very sexy this time. Like, the stuff with the nurse thing. Last one, it was the other you know, poses and Daruka sending him the sexy selfies and stuff. And I feel like it's pro- we're probably going to get a few more of these in a row just because it's like, well, you know, if there's five girls, then we got to do one of them with all five of them, you know, kind of thing. It's going to be a Karisu chapter next week. So, oh boy. Um, but I think that also at the same time, we've been getting some nice character developments uh, in a few of these. I do really like the just the very sincere moment between Asumi and Yuiga where she's like, you don't have to feel bad about what you're doing and you can help. I know that you've decided with all your willpower to do this, but you've got people who care about you that are also going to support you. So don't forget that. And knows that from personal experience. So it's a sweet moment. It's, it's just a very weird chapter. Like the dad stuff is supremely disturbing. I don't know why it bothers me so much that he's like, I've been listening since you said I wanted you to be the first person to see me in this, <laughs> knowing full well that in his mind, they're in a relationship. <laughs> so, And she dressed as a sexy nurse in front of him. <laughs> so that's just very disturbing. Yeah. All right. As we go on to Dr. Stone, Z equals 94, the scent of black gold. As uh, getting off from the moving on from the last chapter with the invention of the camera, they're using it to map out the landscape and try and find the oil field. And uh, we see that some time has passed. They've got a lot of pictures that they've taken and they're trying to go over. Uh, Ryusui and Senku are trying to go over all of them and they're clearly having no luck. Time is passing as well uh, as it's been a few months since they uh, planted uh, the wheat and are harvesting it now. Um, and, uh, this gives them the chance to also, you know, make some more food. Uh, They've got a stable crop, so now they can, uh, have Francois cook some more stuff up. And, uh, so Francois says that they're going to make black truffle pork roulettes. Uh, 
and in order to do this, they have brought along Suika. It's been a while since we've seen Suika. So nice to see her again. And uh, Francois has her go over some of the photographs that they have taken and she's able to figure out, like, oh, yeah, from this, you can actually see that uh, someone's been, you know, rubbing against these branches here. And so it might be boars. And sure enough, they very, very quickly capture a bunch of boars and pen them up. And, of course, Reese was like, oh, we get to eat pork now. Yay. Um, the, again, brings up, OK, well, we've got, you know, the meat part. Sure. But what about truffles? I mean, you know, that's people call that like black gold because it's such a rare black fungus. And. Francois says, well, actually, in Japan, you can find truffles basically fucking everywhere. <laughs> so, um, and uh, when they mention, yeah, we've got to find uh, black fungus. Kohaku starts actually going over some of the pictures and she says, well, Suiko was able to locate the boars with these photos. Right. So maybe with my absurd eyesight, I can find them. And we get uh, the I think that I've misread before what Kohaku's vision actually is. I think that I've said it's 20, 2018. It's actually 2018, 1.8, which is impossibly good. Like, <laughs> that is absurd. <laughs> um, and we get a brief narration that says, like, the true nature of Kohaku's skill was honed by years of roughing the wild, the power of observation. And she's like, yeah, I think I found the black gold you guys are looking for. Yeah, there's a black spot here, right? And Senku's like, there's no fucking way you could spot fungus from a blurry photo. And they're like, well, actually, there is a tiny dot. Actually, it looks like it might be the size of like a puddle. And Ryusui and Senku kind of come to the conclusion at the same time. It's like, it is black gold, but it's black gold as in oil. We found the Sagara oil field. So they rush off to the location that Kohaku had spotted. Meanwhile, Francois and uh, Suika are like, we're going to, you know, keep on doing our culinary thing. Uh, Suika's like, we still have found truffles, though. And Francois says, well, that's okay, because our porcine friends know the scent of the black gold all too well. My knowledge of science is shaky, but every chef worth their salt is familiar with the following fact, that the truffle scent is similar to the sex pheromones of the wild boar, which explains how the boar is able to look at and dig up truffles growing underground. And so they lead a uh, a couple of boars out on leashes and uh, one of them digs one up and immediately is like, <laughs> because it's a fucking pig. And it's like, oh, right. This is why people stopped actually doing this with pigs. But uh, Suika is like, it's OK, because me and Chalk will handle it from here because Chalk will pick up the scent. And then they yeah, managed to find some actual truffles with him instead. So there was a point to find it, the first truffle, basically. Uh, so. Meanwhile, uh, Chrome and Gen and Ukyo and Ryusui and Kaku and Senku are trying to find the oil, but they are not able to uh, tra track it down. Um, and so they're like, well, we've got to find it before too long because, I mean, like the snow is going to cover the land. The black puddle is going to vanish. We're not going to be able to track it down again. And Senku realizes something after after thinking about it for a while that Suika was able to locate the family of boars with these photos. So maybe this one was taken around here, too. And he realizes, because apparently he was also there when Francois said this, that the scent of the black gold, porcine friends know all too well. They were gone by that point. I don't know how the fuck he heard that. Maybe he's got really good hearing. I don't know. So he's like, ah, wait, the boar. And so he, I love that he turns to Kohaku 
and says, in 1872, how was oil initially discovered in Sagara? And he's and she's like, how would I possibly know that? And uh, he says, it's because wild boars are known for rolling around in the mud. And then people came across a boar that stunk like oil. They were naturally curious. They followed it at a distance. And and uh, so they get get back to the village where Francois has one of the boars tied up. And this poor creature is like, oh, <laughs> as Senku comes running up and says, hold off on the stew. And that's where the chapter ends. It's very- I do love the panel of like the, the, the boar is like, no, don't kill me. <laughs> very good. Chapter. Uh, yeah. Very, very amusing. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's pick up the pace here with seven deadly sins. Chapter 300. The 300, Chris. It's a very big deal. It's got a two page color spread. It's very cool. Uh, demon Lord Melodious. So the Demon Lord survived. And he's yep. like, sorry for all the trouble I caused you, Elizabeth. And you, t- seven deadly sins. And you, little freak, to to Hawk. And Hawk's like, freak. Uh, Elizabeth immediately calls that like, you're not Melodious. Uh, Zeldris tries to be like, like tell what? me. I always call Hawk my best friend, little freak. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking monster he is. You uh, little asshole. Zeldris <laughs> like, all right, I did it. So where's Gelda? And melodious there is like is your heart still bound to that blood-sucking woman if it's not melodious it's you you too disgust me and that's when i realize it's not melodious it's the demon lord inside of melodious's body and he explains that that's really what this is all about the commandments are you know just fragments of his power so when they're all brought together it's to become his new vessel that's it yes. he's just up you be- basically you become the new demon lord by allowing the old demon lord to become you basically and, uh, you know, Elizabeth kind of challenges him. He's like, hmm, I got an idea. How about I break the curse of infinite life cycles that affects you? She's like, huh? And he's like, yeah. And then I'm just going to murder the shit out of you in the most horrible way possible. So that's apparently what he's trying to do. And everyone else has, is, is trying to interfere. They're trying to block this from happening. Uh, but they're not very effective at it. There's a whole, like, montage of action scenes. And... You know, the demon lord is just too strong for it and then just whips his sword around and just sends everyone basically flying. Uh, and there's a moment where Hawk's like, no, you know, if you're going to do this to her, then I, the the captain of the knighthood of scrap disposal, I'll, I'll fight you on. I'll take you on. And, uh, you know, well, he gets fucking eviscerated, basically. He gets exploded. Uh and, you know, before he could be killed, he's in, you know, within the Demon Lord's kind of like talons to be like crushed. Uh, before he can, he's whisked away. And who should be there but Bon shouting to the Demon Lord's ear saying, Captain, do you hear me? Mm, guess not. Well, I'm going to kick this deadbeat dad right out of here right now. It's awesome. I, I love that, you know, it's this the shot of him uh, just grabbing Hawk between his talons and then suddenly he's snatched away by, by Bond's ability. And then Bond's just like, hey, what a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very like it's such a power move, too, because he's standing right in front of him. And because Melodius, well, Demon Lord is just always so cool and collect these guys arms crossed, basically, in every scene doesn't seem to give a fuck. And there are some really cool scenes where he just says things. And it's with Melodious's facial features, but it's just the most insidious shit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a very cool show up. Just be like, I'm going to kick the shit out of this guy, guys. And help get the captain out. So yeah, very cool scene. 
All right, we're going to move on from there to The Promised Neverland, Chapter 123 of An Important Choice. Uh, last time, Emma basically unloaded everything when Rave slightly provoked her, saying, like, hey, you know, is this really what you want? And uh, she explained what all of her uh, hang-ups on Norman's plan were. And so we pick up where we left off last time with her saying, Ray, what should I do? I don't know what I should do. And Ray just looks at her and says, I don't either. And I'm, it's going to be so hard not to hashtag Ray through this entire chapter because he's so all over it with just stuff. I'm just like, what should I do? I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know. You brought up a lot of complicated things. I'm not into complicated things. I make solutions, not problems. They're like, no, what I'm asking you for is a solution. Who told you I did that? <laughs> I don't have the uh, answers. And he recaps and goes into detail on some of the problems that Emma has brought up. Like, yeah, if we, you know, just try and go the seven walls route, then that's not going to work because the demons are going to die because the humans are going to go away and then their food source is going to go and they're going to, de- to degenerate. But if we run away to the human world, they're going to cause to chase after us and maybe cause a war. So, I mean, there's no way of seemingly getting around this. And Norma's method seems to be only the solu- only solution. And there's no room for argument. Norma's right. Well, for now, there's nothing you can do. He just puts his hand on her shoulder. <laughs> Sleep rest. Sleep well, little Emma, for there's nothing you can do but accept the cruelties of the world. Such is the fate of all people who are not hashtag right. <laughs> it's fine. Your tiny brain couldn't come up with a solution. It's fine. You'll make peace How with it. you come up with one? I don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm fine with the evisceration of this species. They're not oh. Ray. It's fine if they die. <laughs> In truth, though, it actually is a is a nice sentiment that he shares with her because he says, like, I have no objections with this eradication plan because it does seem like the best possible solution to me. But I know that you're the type of person who will not accept that because you want something for that will work for everyone. And if you don't and he actually says something very straightforward, uh, which is you aren't able to bury your own feelings. They came, they came out with the slash propagation. If you're going to bury your feelings, you need to take them with you to your grave no matter what. But you just can't give up. It's, it's like a, it's like that John Mulaney joke. One, I'm going to hold on to all these feelings, and then one day I'll die. <laughs> That's what you got to do. But he's like, you can, you're not the kind of person who can do that. If you're not convinced about what all this is going to do, I know that this is going to cause huge problems, but you need to actually bring this up with him. Uh, this is... A, such an important thing and you know what Nora will understand if you just talk with about this from him so you know you've got to go over all of our all of our, all the possibilities and we've got to just talk to him about this and emma, and emma says but i'm still wavering about this decision and ray says well that's why you should do it uh, and look we trust each other more than anyone he's a precious person to us he will listen and i know that there is also them on your mind sonju and mujika and because those two have eaten humans. And Emma brings up, yeah, it's weird because we were told if demons don't eat humans, then they can't keep their form of intelligence. But Sonja Mujika weren't like that. And they ate birds and fish and stuff and they didn't take on their form. So what does that mean? And Emma's like, I feel like this is just, you know, wishful thinking. But, you know, do you think that Norman knows about uh, that there are exceptions like this? Uh, and Ray's like, I don't know, but we should tell him about it. And maybe... I mean, look, maybe if Norman does know about them, we might be able to ask why such exceptions exist. We might get a clue that there might be a way for us to you know, coexist properly. 
And I mean, like the chance is one in a billion here, but we should at least explore the possibility and we should go talk to him about all of this, about the doubts that you have. And we owe this to Sonju and Mujiga for what they did for us, too. So, well, Ray, you're really wise. He's like, actually, I read all of that off of a quote porn uh, subreddit post. Quote (laughs) porn? Yeah, he's like, yeah, the quote porn where it's just like really good quotes. Okay. And he's just like, yeah, I'm a bit of a pornographic material kind of guy. I love quote porn, earth porn, basketball porn. That one's actually real porn, by the way. Nobody's told me that I shouldn't be fapping to all day, so I just, you know. I just assume you all jack off to words, like the ones I say out of my mouth regularly. I mean, yeah, that's that's some real quote porn right there. It's a quote by me, hashtag Ray. In fact, the only thing I don't jerk off to on Reddit is our uh, edgelords, <laughs> which I unironically sub to. <laughs> That's some real wisdom right there. <laughs> they know what the world's really like. So they go to Norman's place, and as soon as they get in through the door, there are these three strange-looking people all gathered there. There's, like, a guy with, like, an X pattern in his hair. There's uh, the guy that Norman was talking to in the previous chapter, and then there's a girl with a, with this weird-ass side ponytail who's eating a big old like, turkey leg. Yeah, and two of those are the ones we saw from before. I, yeah, I, I had to conclude that, even though I didn't remember who they were. So, <laughs> so, so I'll bet that they're those two people that were in that group that they that went to the facility and blew it up. Awesome. Even though the other guy might have been a part of it, too. I remember there being like a butler looking dude. There were a total of four of them. So mm-hmm. so they say that they want to talk to Norman and they're like, ah, he had an urgent errand to attend to. And then it's like, well, we'll just come back later. And they're like, no, 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 stay. Have tea with us. And they kind of like push them down into a scene. They're like, we're pretty interested in you pampered children from Gracefield. Mm. Everybody's interested in hashtag Ray. Take a number or get live, buster. I like the differences in expressions between Emma and Ray because Emma's just kind of like, this is kind of awkward. And Ray's just like, whatever, I'm here now. <laughs> and Ray's just grumpy cat. <laughs> I had fun once. It was miserable. Black Clover. All right, let's talk about Black Clover, page 193. Oh, a really nice conversation that Emma and Ray had, and yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did really like it. I like that Ray um, was had all this stuff to offer to Emma, despite the fact that he doesn't really fully agree with her. But it's you know kind of one of those things where it's like, sometimes you don't have the solution to a friend's problem, but you can at least offer a different perspective and help them out that way. He also knows her a lot, which I think is is a very important factor. He knows, like, yeah, I know that you're not going to be satisfied with this. So, you know, here's what you need to consider. And he gives her new, like, insight into things of like, oh, right. If this exception's real, then his plan might not even work kind of deal. And I've got no, I've, I don't really have a horse in this race, but your your happiness means enough to me that I'll you know, at least lead you to this idea. <laughs> with so. all of our hashtag Ray stuff, it's easy to forget that the actual Ray is a different character than that. And he actually right. does have, like, feelings. He's defined by his... His, his friendships with these two people. Yeah. Uh, Black Clover, page 193, the final invaders. So we start off with uh, uh, Noel. Noel, and that's it. Noel. I don't know why I blanked on her name. Noel and Fauna are having their big fight. And uh, it's a cool kind of moment where Noel's like, oh, wait. So if no one else is here, then this finally means I don't have to worry about control. I can just go all out, doesn't it? And she uses uh, Sea Dragon's Roar. And it literally rips Fauna in half. Literally, it's just her torso down that remains after the attack. And she it's starts actually really badass. <laughs> and she starts apologizing. She's like, oh my god, I didn't mean to do that. I'm so sorry. 
Uh, but then flames emerge and it reconstitutes her body. And of course, Vaughn is topless now. That's just, I mean, I don't know why it is, but it feels like Black Clover is becoming a lot more cheesecakey recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's like, oh, you know, uh, I guess I lost my clothes again. Oopsie poopsie. Uh, but we use forbidden magic so we can cast magic from the other world for supernatural spells. So guess I'm going to have to kill you now. Cut away. Asta's having his whole fight. And he can't really make any kind of progress on Rill, or whatever the fucking thing that's taking over Rill currently is. Because Rill just keeps painting more stuff, and it just doesn't stop. I do, I do like that uh, Elf Rill's, like, annoyed. He's like, huh? You're still alive? Fuck! Come on, man! I'm so trying to create art here. Come on. There's a moment where Mimosa has part of her shirt ripped off, because, again, I don't know why. It's but... literally... If you flip from one page to the next, you go from clothing damage fauna to clothing damage mosa. It's like, come on. <laughs> it's a weird moment. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't noticed Black Clover's been doing this previously. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just superficial clothing damage. And then they're like, all right, well, you get on my back, tie your vines around us. And that's how we're going to do this. Like, basically, we'll be a two. So we then cut back to the real world where all the Black Bulls are fighting against the various members of the elves. Uh, and then Yuno shows up and he just beats them all in one big blast because he's that awesome. Uh, and he eats some of Charmy's foods. So now he's back to 100% energy. And she's very glad because he liked her food. So uh, she hops on his back as he forces himself into the dark world. Uh, but then she gets separated and she lands and she's like, huh, Yuno, where are you? Where am I? And then she sees uh, that she's in the the orb that Rill and Asta and Mimosa are in. And she sees all the chaos, and she's like, oh, I'm in hell. And, and that would have been, like, a good way to end the chapter, but it also has to end with, like, has to be like, Miss Charmy! That's chapter. Yeah. I have very little to say about this chapter, other than it's like, wow, clothing damage. Okay. I mean, maybe it's more of a reoccurring thing that I've remembered. I do recall Fauna also having... It's happened, it's happened before... before. It's happened before, and yeah, when Fauna was reincarnated this time, they did it with her because she was, like, naked. Um, But it definitely seems as though, like, this was a particular just, like, back-to-back instance that was really, oh, wow, a kind of one-two punch really catches you off guard. Well, it wasn't, I think it was only, like, two chapters ago that Mimosa fell boobs first into Asta as well. Yep, yep. They're really playing up her boobs all of a sudden. Let's move on to One Piece, chapter 933, A Warrior's Mercy. Hey, look, it's an L. Good for him. Seems so, sorry. No, it's fine. I just noted that because his name's actually up there, which I guess is the official uh, English translation. I never read the Sky P.O. Actually, I did. Why do I think it's sometimes it's an L? I don't know. The Emperor's Yamato no Orochi uh, form is bearing down on uh, the hot woman, um, Kumurasaki, and she refuses to beg for her life, even even still at this point. Uh, So she um, (laughs) the Emperor randomly like just grabs some bystanders and just bites on them um, and then ends up grabbing Kumurasaki as well and is going to uh, kill her. And uh, there are pe- there are some people who are you know, shouting out to some of the ninja who are, of course, still trying to get Robin. And they're like, why aren't you trying to stop the Shogun? And they're like, 
The Shogun is a free man. Nothing can stop him from doing what he wants. Besides, we're dealing with this person over here. <laughs> They're trying to chase down Rock. We're busy. Leave us alone. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, Robin, of course, is still trying to protect Otoko uh, and uh, is refusing to abandon her and uh, deal with something else because obviously she'll be in danger then, too. Uh, <laughs> Brooke shows up and uh, he just looks like a ghost uh, from his uh, outfit. And he's also got, you know, some flames surrounding him and stuff. And so he's acting like he is, you know, this horrible, cursed uh, yokai spirit, uh, which causes Otoko to faint. Uh, as a whole bunch of other people are freaked out by his appearance as well. Uh, and uh, so Robin's like, oh, thank you for your, for your help, uh, Brooke. Keep up what you're doing. And Brooke's like, yo, am I killing it? Hashtag killing it. <laughs> I'm the new current and hip Brooke. Yo. Watch me floss. <laughs> oh, He's just like, I check out this new dance I got for food night. <laughs> I would floss if I had teeth. Wait, I do have teeth. Hmm. Okay. He doesn't have gums. That's the problem. There yeah, that's where the issue is. Yes, that's the only problem with that joke. Something just fell off my desk. Yeah. So. Uh, Nabi asks Shinobu what they should do because now Robin and Brooke are in trouble. Robin is using her meal floor ability to try and bat people out of the way uh, so that they can escape. One of the ninja has also snuck into the attic uh, uh, and snuck up on Nami and Shinobu and is like, did you guys say, sh did you say Shinobu? Wait a minute. It's you, the bombshell beauty Kuroichi, Shinobu the man killer. And Shinobu's like, ah, so you recognize me. No, no, my mistake. It's the wrong person. <laughs> And she gets really pissed off and uh, attacks his balls. And uh, yeah, I do like how it like immediately like pings down. Like it's like a fucking trick shot that she hits yeah. just to nail him in the nuts. Yeah. Precision ability. And then they're like, oh, that's why you're called the man killer. <laughs> I thought it was because you were like some sexy fucking like, you know, black widow kind of character and it's like no, no I, the nerds <laughs> I, I exclusively function with bald testicle based attacks very effective against all males so shinobu uh is like all right let's go and uses her ninpo to bring the roof collapsing down it uh, collapses on top of the emperor and orochi drops kumurasaki uh and everyone's like oh my god what's happening uh, who are all these kunoichi what's what's going on and uh, Orochi looks up and realizes that uh, Kyoshiro is now standing over Kumurasaki. And he says, you've really made a mess of things, Kumurasaki. Are you ready? And she says, I am. And I was like, no, no, don't, 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 don't do that. And he does the samurai thing where, you know, just starts on one side of her, draws the sword, appears on the other side of her with after having diagonally slashed her. And she falls over, presumably dead. And I was like, oh, my God, you just you fucking killed her. Why? Why did you do that? You killed the most beautiful woman in all of Wano. And Orochi is like, who told you to kill her? And Kyoshiro says, I gave her a warrior's mercy. Any who dare defy the Shogun are, are to be judged guilty. The law is ironclad. And I was like, oh, my God, he was doing it to show his loyalty. But why would he go so far? And Kyoshiro looks down at a small little slip of paper that has a symbol on it. 
And while Orochi is like, oh, Kumurasaki's dead. Bring me that kid. I'm going to eat her. And uh, he starts chasing after Otoko, who is still in Robin's arms as she's trying to carry her away. Nami in order to help summon Zeus and uh, says that uh, she's going to give him a weather egg. Uh, and in amid all amid all the chaos, as a whole bunch of people are rushing around the palace, uh, Nami says, get down, calls out lightning blast and um, Zeus causes a huge ass explosion uh, inside of the uh, palace and then we cut over to the next morning in Okabori Town. Uh, Big Mom, of course, is awake, hanging out with Chopper and and the others. And she's like, I like food. Udon! Yay! Let's go get food! And that's the end of the chapter. I like it. It's, it's some good stuff there. We now kind of have, I believe, the confirmation. I think we all kind of expected it, but that Kiyoshiro is one of the samurai that they've been mm-hmm. looking for. That, that slip of paper, I believe, is the the slip that the symbol that they showed that's like you're aligned with that plus the whole conversation with uh fucking Komorosaki is so like set up to blatantly i did not actually kill yeah. her <laughs> are you ready yeah so it's, it's gonna be a whole thing there i'll be curious to see what it is maybe he do you have all of the ketchup packets in your robe ready to explode <laughs> so i'll be very curious to see where they go with that um just some cool stuff all around. There's a lot going on, and it's tough to remember what's happening at every given point, but it's been fun. I will say, I am really not on board with this whole Big Mom thing. And I think that a big part of it is that I realize, like, I don't actually like Big Mom all that much. She's threatening when she's going crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Every so often I get a text from one of my buds who's trying to catch up on One Piece, and he's like, I don't get how Luffy's supposed to win. He gets his shit beat by everybody. And I was like, I think he just has to reach a point where he's good, but it's it, like, we're at a point where it's like, I I mean, if Big Bomb games her memory back at any point, they really, I don't know how these characters are supposed to win with Big Mom so terrifying and already like Kaido's there and all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't like... <laughs> I just don't like, you know, when she's acting this way. Uh, I like two aspects of her character. I like when she's being a complete, unforgiving, sadistic, manipulative bitch. And I like when she is going absolutely insane in battle rage. I don't like her food thing. I don't like her. I'm surrounded by cutesy things with faces. And I certainly don't like her like, I want food. Give me food, guys. You're my friends now. It's like, ugh, go away. Just go away. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I get you. So hopefully that doesn't become too distracted because there is some good stuff going on here. I am actually getting really into this uh, little mini thing going on with Kyoshiro and Kumurasaki. It's intriguing. So. Let's name our favorites for this week. Why don't we? Uh, MVP and favorite series. Favorite I'm going to give to Seven Deadly Sins. Mm. I like it. I, it was, I think it was a pretty good chapter. I'm going to give my favorite series to uh, My Hero Academia. I I just really like some of the small stuff that happens in it. And I like just the general sentiment that, uh, that happens between uh, Deku and Eri. So. Uh, and my character of the week, I guess I give to... I'm going to give to Bond. Actually, I really like Bond showing up at the end. It was a very cool moment for him. And I'm going to give mine to Ray. 
Okay. Uh, I really like the stuff that he had to say to Emma, and I really like that he shows that, yeah, he really does care that Emma gets all this stuff, and he tries to find stuff that will work for all of them because it's so important to her. So. And uh, the audience picked Seven Deadly Sins as their favorite, and Ray was the MVP of the week for them. Okay. Split the difference. All right. All right, everyone, we are going to wrap things up here for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you guys for joining us. We record the show on twitch.tv slash and smashcast.tv slash generally on around 7.30 Eastern time on Mondays. Uh, however, sometimes we do need to change things up. So to stay updated on that kind of stuff, you can follow us on social media on Twitter. The official podcast account is at WMR Podcast, and your hosts are at Nick F. Time and at Rolo T. <clears throat> if you would like to send us a suggestion for us to read, uh, you can do that via the Discord server that we have. We also have an entire spreadsheet uh, that is maintained by Ninja X3i, where you can see what all suggestions people have left for us in the past, which ones we've covered in the past, and how many other people want to want us to read the series that you are interested in us covering. And you can also send stuff via email to weeklymagarecap.podbean.com, where you can use that to send us send us feedback and ask us questions for Q&A episodes. Also, if you're checking us out on iTunes, on YouTube, or also on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com for our past episodes, be sure to leave a comment, leave a rating, and all that stuff so that we can become kings in the hobby section and dethrone the woodworkers and become kings. There. We must rule all hobbies. Yes. We shall be the lords. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy, as well as to Steve Man, our target artist, and our friend Infamous Planet. And uh, do we have a suggestion that we're going to be taking on next, Chris? So one thing we mentioned with the whole big new jump rebrand and everything like that was that there Mm -hmm. were going to be access to series on there. So this would be an opportunity to go and read through some of them. So I thought I'd start off with something that's going to be relatively easy for us. Although I didn't realize it was going to be as hard as it's going to be because this series is uh, has like seven different fucking names for it. So our recommendation is going to be Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, boy. But Yu-Gi-Oh is Yu-Gi-Oh. Then there's, I think... Yu-Gi-Oh Duel Monsters. Yu-Gi-Oh. What? Duelist. Dual Monsters, Millennium World. I want to say... We're going to have to... Is its own. I don't think we're going to do all of it. I think we're going to find a, a, the appropriate median between them. And go with that. So I, I can't imagine reading through everything of fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! But we're going to read through at least portions of it as our recommendation. It's going to be difficult. <laughs> well, it's only difficult to remember which one transitions into the original one. I think it starts... Uh, Grey Bob in the chat saying it starts Yu-Gi-Oh! That goes to Duelist and goes to Millennium World. So maybe that's what we'll... we'll what? You guys to. don't want us to cover R and GX and 5Ds and Zexel oh, and... <laughs> It's not going to be all of them. We're just going to start easy. And Arc 5. And and we're starting easy. We brains. Both, we both know how this story goes for the most part. So. <laughs> That's but I know how some of the others go, Chris. Oh, fuck that. I don't have time for this. Actually, there's quite a bit of uh, uh, divergence uh, once you get into the uh, uh, non-original series in terms of where the story goes. So I actually don't know how a lot of uh, G- the others go. So, okay. Nerd. Uh, well, there is. I mean, like. Look, I mean, GX, you've got he uses completely different monsters. He uses like the elemental heroes that he uses actually have effects and he doesn't just have to rely on. Listen to the big stupid nerd talk about his nerd stuff. So Judai's uh, ace in GX in the original is Flame Wingman and 